Welcome to the Amplifier Podcast, the show where the best in business discuss how you can grow your business best. I'm Wyatt McPherson, I produce this show, and in this episode, author, entrepreneur, and leader of the COO Alliance, Cameron Harold is back for his third episode in this three-episode series. And today, Don Cooper and Chris Coombs will be talking with him about where exactly the best places are that you should start when building out an excellent team of leaders for your business. So anyone out there who is wanting an even more incredible team of people should absolutely listen up and be sure to be subscribed to the show because we have so many more amazing guests coming up that you will not want to miss. And if you haven't already heard them, be sure to go back and listen to the other two episodes that Cameron did with us. And when you're ready to start your own podcast or kickstart marketing for your company, you can always visit us at AmplifierX.com. But as always, I truly do hope that you enjoy this episode of the Amplifier Podcast. Cameron, tell us about the COO Alliance, uh, the only mastermind group for the second in command. Yeah, so I have been the second in command formally once, but informally four times. Um, So with four different companies, I've really played in that second in command role and the one formally for for seven years with 1-800-GOT-JUNK. And often I would show up at events with entrepreneurs, you know, so even when I was building Boyd Auto Body I was kind of the de facto COO, um, but I was in the entrepreneurs organization. And then when I was running this private currency company, Ubarter, I was president of the Vancouver operation, but I reported to the CEO of the whole company, but I was in the entrepreneurs organization, right? And then, um, you know, with College Pro Painters, I was opening up the West Coast of the United States. So I really ran my own division, my own operating PL. I showed up as the only person in Washington and Oregon. And then 12 months later, I had 220 employees. So I was effectively like a COO reporting into. Um, so, but in all of those cases, there was nowhere for me. You know, there were, there were organizations that for entrepreneurs like YPO or Vistage or Tech or Entrepreneurs Organization, Genius Network, Strategic Coach, master, all these amazing groups of entrepreneurs. And then there were groups for, for engineers and for marketers and for lawyers. There were trade associations for all kinds of other groups, but there was nowhere for the COO. And four of my coaching clients, so I was coaching CEOs and, and four of my CEOs that I was coaching, I was also coaching their COO. So we were doing these calls and one of my clients, a guy named Zach Morrison, I had coached his CEO, Ben and Zach for two years. And then I went on and started coaching four of their directors as well. I coached them for four years um, from like 30 employees up to about 400. They've sold the company now for like 80 million. They're all, they've made 25 of their employees millionaires, which is super cool. Um, But Zach said, can we get a few of your COOs together to talk? I'm like, well, I don't really coach COOs. He goes, well, you're coaching me. I'm like, oh yeah, but there's you. And he goes, and you're coaching Matt from Acceleration Partners. I'm like, yeah. And he goes, and you're coaching Zach from Book in a Box. I'm like, dude, how do you know this? He goes, you kept talking about the other companies you were coaching. So I reached out to them to see what, how they were doing with some of it. And three of us are already talking. So I pulled 10 of my COO kind of clients together and we did a mastermind for two and a half days. I was literally winging it. Like I had no idea. I just wanted them to share with each other. So they presented, we did problem solving, built relationships, we went and had fun. They, they talked to each other and nine of the 10 of them wanted to keep meeting. So we started the, the organization then um, modeled it after the Genius Network, where we originally had five in-person events a year, and they picked three of the five to go to, and we had a $20,000 price tag on it, and it was growing and doing nicely and getting high net promoter scores, and then we got kicked in the ass with COVID a year ago, 
And I was trying to do the two day events online, but it just didn't feel right. Something felt off. So in September, I grabbed some of my earliest stage members, including Zach. And just to piss Zach off, he was the first member. I gave him member number three, just as a, as a joke. <laughs> so it always pissed him off that his name tag said number three. Um, it was just like an inside joke. But so I, I got four of my early stage members and four of our current members, and I asked them how we could make, kind of turn the model around and iterate the model to, to best serve these members. And we created a model now that is a three-hour event every month, so 12 three-hour events. And we have a Slack channel that they share information with each other, and um, it's 8500 a year. We have a bar. You need to do at least $5 million in revenue just to qualify. We've added 15 new members this month alone. Uh, we'll have almost 100 members on our call tomorrow. And we've got members now from 11 countries. So we're, we're approaching about 140 members now. And, uh, you know, the goal is to just continue to scale that and give value to our members. So before you went to that virtual shorter every month format, how many members did you have and how many members do you have now? Um, we, over the course of about four and a half years, we'd had about 100, 120 members sign up over the four years, but we were down to about 40. Because nobody wanted to travel. No one could travel. People were up for renewal and they didn't want to travel. So our, we were going from like 70 full-time down to about 40. And mm -hmm. now we're at, a, I think we're at 125 or 130 full-time members, active members today. And, you know, adding- Changing that format effectively grew the organization two, three times. Yeah. And it'll continue yeah. to scale. It will, I yeah. think we'll be close to 250 active members by the end of this calendar year. You know, a lot of organizations have, have flipped through that, you know, that live versus virtual as and, and COVID being the, the catalyst for that. I know how much you love COVID. <laughs> and we won't get into the politics or beliefs on it, but, you know, at least there is a very good unintended benefit of, uh, of a change that was forced upon you to, uh, to grow something. Because I know Chris, Chris is now a member of COO and... I don't know what the catalyst was to get him to join eventually. Cause I was pushing him for 18 months to join and he finally did. And I think it was maybe the virtual part that was may maybe lubricated those wheels to take action. You know, it's interesting. That's something that we're noticing now as well is that um, often COOs aren't out there saying, Hey, I want to get better at my job. Right. There's a bit of a vulnerability to say, I want to get better because then they feel like maybe there's something wrong with me and there's not. Um, and so sometimes the CEO wants them to join. Sometimes they want to join where I have a relationship with the CEO or if the CEO is in a mastermind, it's usually a safe environment for the CEO to get into one. But yeah, we're starting to notice that we're also noticing with a podcast that I started. It's called the second in command podcast that a lot of our COOs are listening to that podcast and getting to see the growth that they can get. And they're realizing that their tribe is different from the entrepreneur tribe. Like they, they identify more with the other COOs. And um, we're, we're now signing a lot of our guests of the podcast as well. We just had one the other day who she'd never heard of us before. She was a guest on the podcast, listened to four other episodes. And then she's like, I just got to join. I'm like, All right. <laughs> That's we're, awesome. we're getting a few of those as well. It's been fun. That's awesome. That's interesting. You say something there because I, I there was a there's a, a thought process. I remember before I joined several mastermind groups, Coach and Genius Network being two of them, that you know I had an inner sense that I needed to let go of a lot of things and I needed to develop my people. But I 
you know, as an, as a founding entrepreneur, I still had, I wore 12 hats and I was involved in all kinds of things in the business, probably in some areas, not adding as much value as someone else could have, I would just let go, but I learned to let go. And now I, I probably, I'm really clear on what I'm, what I love to do and what I'm good at and what I'm not good at. And, and done a lot of work over that the last four years to put the right people in the right seats and quite comfortable letting go of all of those things. Is it, a, is it an organic thing that you see that when as a CEO starts to show that level of vulnerability that it starts to devolve it or into the rest of the business that people get comfortable understanding what they're great at, what they should let go of? Like, what do you see that happening? You mentioned that COOs might not want to show that vulnerability that they need to grow and learn. Yeah, I, I follow the system that Dan Sullivan created at Strategic Coach called the Activity Inventory and Unique Ability. So I try to get, and we're actually doing this exercise tomorrow on our CO Alliance call. Um, so I get leaders to pretend that someone followed them around with a video camera for an entire three months. And then we rewatch the video and we watch everything we do. And we open up an Excel spreadsheet and I want you to write down every single task that you do over the course of a quarter. Mm -hmm. Interview people, open emails, reply to emails, show up at meetings, prep for meetings, all the stuff that we do. And you make an all-inclusive list. You might end up with 80 or 90 or 100 things on your spreadsheet. In column A is all the tasks that you do. And then in column B, you categorize everything in one of four ways. Either I for incompetent, meaning you suck at it. C for competent, meaning you're okay at it. E for excellent, meaning you're really, really good at it, but you don't necessarily love doing it. And U for unique ability, meaning you love doing it, you're really good at it, you get energized doing it, people love watching you do it. Like you would even do it for free, except you gotta pay bills, right? Or your kids have to eat. So that's column B, either incompetent, competent, excellent, unique ability. And then in column C, what I like doing is thinking about if I paid someone just to do that task, day in and day out, they were just doing that task. What would the hourly rate be for that task, right? It, to clean toilets, $15 an hour, to fly a plane, maybe $100 an hour, right? Like what's the, what's the rate you're willing to pay for someone to do that task? And then what I like doing is start to delegate everything off my plate that I'm either incompetent or competent at, or that is below my effective hourly rate. Right. So if you're the CEO of a company and you make a million dollars a year, your effective hourly rate is $500 an hour, which means you have to delegate everything off your plate that's less than a $500 an hour task, right? To free yourself up to work on the stuff that you're really good at and, and you, you love doing and, and you're energized from. And then it's giving the leaders the, the confidence to realize that the more they work in their unique ability zone, the more they delegate everything except genius the better they're going to look in their role anyway. But they often get stuck feeling like, well, if I delegate everything, what am I going to do? Well, you're actually going to do the shit you're really good at and you love doing, which means you're going to fuel the company. Or you're going to spend more time growing people, right? You're going to amplify yourself. That's interesting. You, you gave me another twist on unique ability. And I'm, obviously being in coach, I'm, I'm super familiar with it. When I went through the unique ability exercise in Strategic Coach with Dan, <clears throat> I was 
you know, it's a safe environment. And I was quite comfortable to just identify all the crappy stuff, as Dan puts it, that, you know, the incompetence and incompetencies and really get clear on my excellent and unique abilities. And that started a journey of that. It was at that point where I started a journey of delegating away everything that wasn't my excellent or unique abilities. And, and it's, and it's been a 40 year journey to find the right who's to do that. The last element of that was, um, was hiring a sales leader to take over sales management of the company from me uh, in managing the sales team. And, you know, we just got that person in the scene. I finally, all of the stuff that I identified over the years that was on my plate, I got, you know, I've gotten all of it delegated away. And, and I really focused on an, another Dan concept, which is, the, which is who, not how, which kind of fits into that that our friend Ben Hardy and him just wrote a new book on, but, um, and, you know, and I really focused on making sure that in every time I delegate particularly if, if I didn't have a who in the company who I could delegate to, and we were hiring for that, I looked for someone who was way better at it than us. You know, I was coaching a woman years ago, Suzanne Evans, who actually runs a large coaching program. So she has hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs, small entrepreneurs that she coaches. So she's a very strong businesswoman, and I was coaching her. And um, in one of our coaching calls, I was talking to her about time management and what she does. And on Sunday night, she makes an all-inclusive list. And I actually put this into my course um, on the time management section. So she makes an all-inclusive list of all the projects that she's working on. Then she breaks down all of the projects into tasks, like all of the things that she needs to do to get that project completed. And then after she's got an all-inclusive list of all the stuff that needs to get done and all the tasks that need to happen to do it, she then puts an A or a B priority between them all. So all the tasks and projects are A's or B's. Then she selects the amount of time, how many hours or minutes each task will take. Okay, so she's got her list, prioritizing A's or B's. Now she knows how much time they're all going to take. Before she starts working on any of them, she delegates 80% of the hours. So awesome. in, her mi- in her mind is it needs to get done, but not by me. Yeah, just, uh, you know, Don, for our company in, in an industrial space, and I, I think would uh, whether our employees, you know, they, they come from more of the, the structured uh, companies that, that we work for, or if they're entrepreneurial, the, the part that Cameron said about adding the rate and then looking at it from assigning that ability to somebody that it suits, you know, with a more effective rate for that for that work would really open some eyes Um, i love that idea for our space because we've got we've got managers who from a vulnerability standpoint are afraid to let go of managing their calendar or you know organizing that event and things that there are other people one there's other people in the organization who are already better at that and two if we didn't have that person you could probably hire that person for twenty dollars an hour twenty five dollars an hour and you've got a hundred dollar an hour person doing things and and likely and and almost every case doing it poorly right well and and doing it poorly but also like just for as a fun example you know you know chris you're paid well to do your job right so don if you found out that chris was spending an hour a day doing 20 dollar an hour tasks you're massively overpaying him for that yeah 
Like that would piss that, me that, off. That, that could be a whole different conversation of how I can get Chris to let go of some things. Hey, totally. we could we, we could create different rates of pay for different activities or something. That's, that's, <laughs> that I, might change the whole conversation about getting Chris an EA. That's not, that's, <laughs> yes, yes. If you don't have an executive assistant, you are one, right? Like even my executive assistant outsources stuff to Upwork and Fiverr. Like Meredith has people that she outsources work to because I pay my executive assistant 75 grand a year. She's in her fifth year with me. God forbid she ever quits. I give her five weeks paid vacation. Like I don't ever, but she's unbelievable. But now she's got all these, because if, if I'm paying her 38 bucks an hour, I don't want her doing $15 an hour tasks. Right. Right. Yeah. So, you know, on this topic, and, and I agree with both of you guys and, and Cameron, I remember the day that you said that in the, the first CEO Alliance meeting when I was contemplating hiring an EA and Don's been pushing me towards this. And I still remember when you said, if you don't have one, you are one. And, and I don't think I'll ever forget that because that really opened my eyes. So not so much about me and my mindset, but I see a, a mindset. And I think what you talked about with assigning dollar values to the task helps, but maybe you can, maybe you have experience with this mindset as well. The idea that if I do it, I'm doing it for free and not actually, you know, like, you know, if I, well, if my salary is X and then you could break it down to eight hours a day, I know we don't work like that, but the mindset, you break it down to eight hours a day. So when I work 10 hours, I'm working those two hours for free. It's not costing the company anything. You could really break down all those barriers by assigning the dollar value to the tasks. And that's what well, I really like about it. There's a couple parts around that as well. Number one is I don't want executives working more than they should be working because we hit a point of diminishing returns. Mm -hmm. we also hit a point where our family doesn't like us so then that starts impacting our work as well we start hitting a point where we're not having as much fun and that impacts our day-to-day -day, or we're not relaxed so we're not thinking clearly so that impacts our day you can't name a single pro sport not one where the athletes play 40 or 50 or 60 hours a week there isn't one there's not a single pro sport pro athlete who performs at that level now they might practice but that's that's showing up to a course or a conference or working on our skills but actually doing the job there there's not a single one who's actually doing their job at that level so as leaders we need to protect our confidence we need to work on our high skill areas we need to delegate everything except genius and we need to remember that we're never going to get the whole list done we're never going to catch up so working nights and weekends to catch up means we're lying to ourselves because all that you're going to do when you get today's list done is you're going to have bigger goals. Yeah. Right. Like even as I'm starting to get caught up on some stuff, I'm like, I could work on my sixth book. I could, yeah. I could grow the CEO Alliance. I could run an event in Europe next year. Like the fuck am I doing except adding more to my list. Right. On the topic of, um, of that activity inventory, I, I, I discovered something really interesting this last three or four months. So um, I recently, you know, you are familiar. You've probably met BJ Fogg. Uh, after, you know, BJ joined Genius Network in our group uh, last summer, and we went through a deep dive into his, into his book, Tiny Habits, I signed up to his uh, behavior design program. Um, so became a, became a, a professional behavior designer because I just really wanted to understand that process. I, we're going to get some more of our team to go through it, but I like to I like to get my head around how these things work. And one of the first exercises I did after finishing that program was 
was rethinking the way that we implement that activity inventory with our team because of that sense. I got the impression there were people on my team who, when I looked at their activity inventory, they had no incompetencies. And, and I, I looked at it and went, well, I think that there's a, you know, there, you know, from a technical, we're in a very technical space there, the terminology of competent and incompetent was a barrier for people to actually be vulnerable to say, I suck at these things, or I, or I dislike these things. But maybe the approach is to show them your activity inventory first. Oh, I did always. I always have, right? I, I, right from day one, I showed them all the stuff I sucked at and showed them that I was trying to get rid of it. But there was and still... They, know, they already know too. They already know too, exactly, right? Yeah, they, 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 they and you know, and I, I try to make it, you know, as candid and, and, and speak up and make it a joke that, you know, that they all can tell me what I suck at because so I already let's, know. Let's say that they have nothing that they're incompetent at. That's okay. Yeah. Well, no, it, it was perfectly okay. What I wanted to do though is, is in behavior design, we came up with, there's another, uh, a tool that BJ has called focus mapping and it's a way of sorting that's slightly different. And so I changed, I took away all the terminology of unique ability, excellent, incompetent, incompetent. And we just went through a sorting exercise based on, based on, uh, on, on energy and on, on expertise. And we, we took the same activity inventory. We already had their activity inventory that they had done. And then we redid it through a different conversation using behavior design. What, what, and it was only at the end when we identified, well, this, this quadrant is lower. It's like, a, it's like the Eisenhower quadrant, right? Uh, the four quadrants. And in the lower left-hand quadrant was that incompetency quadrant. And what I noticed was there was a lot more clarity for the team in really understanding their unique abilities and their incompetencies. And through that exercise, we were able to actually just come up with action saying, look, you went from three incompetencies on your list of 50 things that you work on to 15. Now, which ones do you really hate doing? <laughs> and let's pick three of these right now and come up with a game plan to see if we can get rid of a couple of these things in the next two weeks. Right. And, every, and every single time they did. Um, and it was, it was, but it was nice to take away the labels and just focus on the energy that, you know, the expertise, the, the joy, as you put it, you know, would you do it for free? Right. Or is this crappy stuff? And going through that exercise with the team to kind of remove the obstacle of any fear of vulnerability and, and in a skills-based business, incompetency is a perceived bad word and no matter how much i could share that it, we want to identify these things there was just some sort of subconscious barrier but when we took the labels away and had the conversation differently sorted them that way it made a real big difference so chris you went through that um recently uh, what what was your take from the way that we changed that process i would say I wasn't so much in the beginning worried about identifying any incompetencies. I've never been, I've never been that way. And I always try to be as self-aware as I can into what I'm good at and, and what I'm not good at, but really thinking about what gives me energy, why I show up to work every day and what are the things and to separate myself and then to really look at what are the things that the company really needs from me um, and then sorting them that way helped me identify some things that were on my competent and excellent, excellent list that should have really been in the inco in, incompetent category. 
Yeah, and I think part of this is just, it's always about that progress, right? As Dan Sullivan talks about progress versus perfection, that if we do this activity inventory style of growth with our team every six months, it just helps them march towards this more unique ability zone that they're in, right? It's just one good exercise to do, like planning out you know, your, your calendar and reverse engineering it. These are all the systems that I try to get companies to be thinking about and working on, which allows you to build that high functioning team, allows you to build that strong company culture. And, and that's the stuff that really accelerates growth, right? Like to grow the company, we haven't once talked about sales or marketing or revenue. I've always believed that we grow our company by building happier employees, stronger employees, better leaders, growing the teams, reverse engineering. That's where real growth comes from. Like real fast accelerated growth is because you're amplifying all of your people. On and as the leaders in the business, it's fun too, right? <laughs> right. At the end of the day, you know, uh, a friend of mine told me many, many years ago that we're in this, uh, uh, he, he said in the industrial space, we're in it for finance, not romance. But I, I think that we, we should come to work every day and love what we do and love that we're developing something. You know, I, I, don't, I, I hope that this is what most leaders want. But when I look at hiring someone who is way better at a seat than me, and they're thriving and they feel like they have the opportunity to grow. And I don't have to think, you know, the minute I don't have to think about that department anymore, other than I've got a trusted partner who runs that, that and can come. And I really feel that that's in order. Like I sleep better at night, but then I also look at them and go like, they've got momentum. This is going to be fantastic for them. Mm -hmm. And all of our great hires and, you know, over the last two or three years, have been really great who's who were way better at it than me or way better at it than Chris. And, um, and now it's just about developing their, their skills further and further. Yeah. And again, the only way to really end up with those good who's is to know in advance what we're looking for. So then we have the, the time to actually go and find them. Right. So that's planning out two years in a row, your org chart, one year out your org chart and then reverse engineering that allows us to then be strategic about our recruiting and hiring and onboarding of people. Any closing thoughts, Cameron? Well, one of them is that I think, you know, I've been saying this for a while that none of this actually matters. It's like, we're all going to die. <laughs> like, we're all for real. So ins all you're so inspirational. But it's true. <laughs> like, none of this shit actually matters. We're all going to die. So why can't we just have some fun along the way and enjoy the journey and not take ourselves so seriously? And I think if we can bring that culture into our operations where, we can just have some fun. We can have a good time where we can, you know, because if we care about our employees and we care about having a good time and we have some fun along the way, that's what makes that engaging culture. But if we're so like goal, goal, goal or all the time, we forget the whole, per like we're all just walking each other home. So it's less about morbid and it's more about let's have some fun along the journey. That's great. I couldn't agree more. You know, this morning, um, I got an email from both our sales leader and our marketing leader. And they said, Hey, we've got this sales and marketing strategy collaboration meeting tomorrow. It's our weekly meeting. Um, but we've also got this murder mystery uh, event planned for all employees. I think we should cancel the marketing and sales collaboration meeting so we can all be there. And I was absolutely. So instead of having a marketing and sales collaboration meeting tomorrow at I don't know, two o'clock, we're going to, we're having a company-wide Zoom meeting and it's some sort of a murder mystery that other people on the team have, uh, have organized. So I was, 
I mean, I'm, I'm, I was super proud that the team put together the murder mystery when I saw it a couple of weeks ago. I was even more proud from a culture standpoint when both the sales and marketing leaders said, hey, let's cancel this meeting because we got to be there for the team and go have some fun. And this is in the middle of the workday. So um, I've got a, I thought, a that I've used now for over the last year, a number of times called the Work Play Jam. So it's workplayjam.com and they organize fun social events for companies. And oh, that's cool. Yeah, they and that one of them is these they do the murder the mysteries things, but they'll do escape rooms and and like Jeopardy and um, music trivia, but like all super fun. So that's something cool. At our event next month, we've got a company uh, called Conbody, and I know the the owner of the company Conbody is Toss Marte. He spent years and years in in federal penitentiary. When he came out of the penitentiary, he realized no one was ever going to give him a job, so he had to start his own business. So he started a virtual fitness business running fitness programs similar to what the prisoners would do inside their small jail cell. And at our at our May event, Chris, we're going to actually have a con body workout. We're going to do our three hour CO Alliance event. And then they're going to run us through a 45 minute workout afterwards. And it's the prisoner workout. It's what the prisoners do in their cells. And no wonder they all look so damn fit. And there's no weights involved. So, yeah, yeah. those those kind of kinds of events for companies are really fun. Can we that, get video? Awesome. Can we get Chris in doing video on video doing the con workout? That'd be awesome. Yeah, well, I just <laughs> like they'll do it for your company too. If you ever want to do one for your company, you I think you pay them like fifteen dollars per person, and they'll just run a fun event, and your employees can do it from their living room. That's yeah. Cool. So and just so I guess for both of you, as you know, the um, the event that we're doing tomorrow is a result of the COO meeting. Not necessarily because Cameron, you've incorporated that into the alliance. It, it was a conversation. It was a breakout room, and I think the question was something like, "What are you actively doing, you know, for your employees during these higher stress times?" Mm. And and that was, you know, just collaborating with other COOs is how this how this event got scheduled. So just an example of kind of the benefit of attending these different groups and learning different strategies from from other people. And it's funny, right? Like our again people are like oh why would you take time out during the middle of the day to have fun because that if you now infuse that group with a fun energy and they bring that energy into the rest of the day which fuels the rest of the day and the rest of the week they're going to get 15 percent more work done for that week because they've infused their work with fun energy right the ceo's job is to be the chief energizing officer right it's to find ways to raise the energy of the group, to raise the amplification of the group, right? We're at quantum physics, we're all energy and it's about getting that amplification of the group up. It's funny, like I would have never sat and used the name amplification or amplifier. It keeps coming out and then I keep keep remembering that's the name of the podcast. I'm not, I, I promise I'm not doing it on purpose, but it is about the amplification of energy. Yep. Yeah, that's what we're trying to do with, 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 with our amplifier business and with the podcast is share great ideas, amplify that message out so that other entrepreneurial companies can gather some of these ideas, let go of the vine a little bit, grow their business, grow their team. Um, that's exactly what we're trying to do here. So uh, awesome. Cool. And well, thank you for being on the show. How do, how do people find you, hire you, work with you? Um. Well, all of my information is available at CameronHerald.com or the COOalliance.com. Uh, they should definitely check out the Invest in Your Leaders course. Maybe you can you can link to that, the Invest in Your okay. Leaders course. It's called InvestinYourLeaders.com. And then all five of my books, Double Double, 
Vivid Vision, The Miracle Morning for Entrepreneurs, Free PR, and um, Meeting Suck are all available on Amazon, Audible, and iTunes. And I have them all in, I think, all three formats, Kindle, right. Audible, and physical. So no you're growing. Chris, any final thoughts, my friend? No, I don't think so. I just really enjoyed this, Cameron. I enjoy listening and, and learning from you during the during our monthly sessions. And, and this was a great time for me as well. Uh, thanks, guys. Appreciate this. Thank you, everybody, so much for listening to this episode of the Amplifier Podcast. If you wish to get in contact with anyone on the show, Don Cooper, Chris Coombs, or our beloved guest, Cameron Harold, then you can do so anytime at the links in the description. Make sure you subscribe so you never miss an episode, and be sure to leave us a five-star rating. It truly does help us out a lot. Thanks so much for listening again, and we will see you next time on the Amplifier Podcast.